The scripture reading for today is taken from John chapter 4, verses 1 to 30 and 39 to 42. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came up to a town in Samaria called Sikar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried as he was, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman, woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can, you, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you keep the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than the, our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of the water will, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And have, to, and have to keep coming here to draw water. He said to her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but the Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must wor worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. And no one asked, and, and no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Verses 39 to 42. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know now that the man really is the savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon, everyone. It's always a blessing to be in front of you. Um, let's bow down to dedicate this time to the Lord. Father God, we give you thanks for being together, for um, the opportunity to reflect upon your word. May it, uh, may it take roots in our hearts and in our lives and in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as many of you know, my family and I have been engaged uh, in international missions for several years before coming to First Baptist Vancouver. Um, so now that I live here again, uh, I made it a, a priority to get to know the city as well as I can, um, to see what's hurting, to see where there's hope, and, and really to just familiarize myself with this context. Um, and I often enjoy talking to people who grew up in this city, to hear their stories about how the city has changed over the decades, what it was like before. It's fascinating even to look at some pictures. As I listen, I get glimpses of not only the city, but how they and their families have grown and changed over the decades. We live in a beautiful city. Uh, it's an interesting city surrounded by gorgeous mountains. Our city is strategically located uh, for commerce and trade with some of the world's biggest markets. This is Vancouver. Many of us who live here now come from places far away and that adds to the cultural richness and beauty of the city. Of course, not all of us are newcomers. Did you know that Metro Vancouver has the third largest urban Aboriginal population in Canada? This land is rich. It's also rich in beautiful stories of community, resilience and perseverance. And yet, it has a complex history. A complex history of hostility between groups of people. It hasn't always been smooth, but still not smooth. This history is not new, but the city is still trying to figure out how to come to terms with the legacy from the past. For instance, in 2013, the City Council formally acknowledged that Vancouver is built on the unceded traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Or another problem, another old problem, resurfaced during the pandemic. The past few months, Vancouver experienced a 700% increase in anti-Asian hate crimes. These problems haven't gone away. 
The city can feel hopeless in other ways. Housing affordability is a real and painful problem, not only for those who are very poor, but for many families with stable incomes as well. It's always something weighing in your mind. And to top it all off, in our city, the feeling of loneliness and the concrete reality of isolation were acute problems even before the COVID-19 pandem COVID pandemic began. Vancouver is also one of the most secular cities in the continent. People don't want to hear about God and or prefer custom-made forms of spirituality that they can consume according to their preference of that moment or of that year, of that season. It is in this city, with all its history and all its stories, that the Lord Jesus commissions us to share the good news. Not to escape our realities, not to turn a blind eye, but to participate in the task of reconciling all things in Christ. So I hope um, you find great encouragement and guidance in this story of the encounter between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. After reading this story with churches in big cities and small towns um, all across Latin America, I have come to understand a little bit better that the good news has to do with who Jesus is and with the way he lives out his mission. The encounter with Jesus changes everything, all aspects of our lives. So, dear church family, today I want to invite you to pay close attention to the way Jesus treats and engages the Samaritan woman as he reveals his own identity. Let's do this so that we can follow in his footsteps, shall we? There are encounters, there are conversations that change our lives forever. Some conversations can even change the life of an entire community. Conversations can be challenging, but they can also facilitate understanding, friendship, forgiveness, and so much more. This gospel-filled, amazing encounter and conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman is a beautiful example of this. Now, John chapter 4, where this story is, begins by telling us that Jesus learned, or Jesus had learned that the Pharisees were keeping track of his success and that they were comparing him to John the Baptist, to see who baptized more, who, no, who was more successful. A side comment here, it is a good thing that unlike Pharisees of that day, Christians today do not care about comparing leaders or churches with each other, right? Right? Okay. There are a couple of things that fascinate me about Jesus in the beginning of this story. They just blow my mind. The first one is that he's not 
um, the one doing the baptizing. But he has empowered his disciples to do the task. What a great teacher. The second thing that fascinates me of, about Jesus in, at the beginning of this story is that Jesus doesn't seem to care for the Pharisees' recognition. So instead of staying near the center of the action that was Judea, he decides to leave for the less important part of the country that is Galilee. The gospel tells us that Jesus decides to go through the rough and hostile region of Samaria. Samaritans and Jews had long-standing and hostile cultural and theological differences. If you want, cultural and religious differences. This is not a welcoming place for a preacher coming from Judea. Verse 7. So we're going to look a little bit closer to the text. So if you have your phone, uh, you can look at the, at the passage there. Or if you have the, the paper version, uh, a.k.a. the Bible in your... Uh, yes, there, you can follow that. So verse 7. I need water. It was noon, and Jesus needed water, but doesn't have a way to get water out of the well until a Samaritan woman shows up. Bible commentators tell us, tell us that she was most likely an outcast woman in the community because she was there at the well at noon, which is not the usual time for women uh, to gather water in the well. A respectable woman would go fetch uh, in the morning, early in the morning. Bible commentators also tell us that a respectable teacher would not let himself be seen talking with a woman. So this is going to be interesting. Jesus is a human being that experiences thirst. Their common need for water, H2O, is what brings these two people together. The Gospel of John is careful to show us a Jesus that is fully present, fully incarnated in our reality, with us. He attends real weddings. He goes to real dinners. He cooks real breakfasts with real fish. And as we see here, he needs real water. The conversation about the need for water is going to get deeper and more meaningful. But do not lose sight of this very physical, very tangible need for H2O. How can we, after such a long drought, how can we in our province that is burning, right? The conversation, sorry, water is not merely a prop to make a deeper point, a more spiritual point. In the same way that today sharing a table with the hungry is not a prop for the good news. 
it is part of the good news. Verse 9. Unwelcome. After Jesus addresses the woman, she brings up the barriers, the cultural expectations. You are a man, a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. You should not be asking me for things. Those are very real barriers. Verse 10, let's see what happens. Jesus keeps the conversation going in spite of the initial barriers. It's hard to keep the conversation going when we encounter a wall or when we build a wall. So let's notice what Jesus does here. I don't know how you use the you normally use the phrase if you knew. Um, the way I use it and the way I've seen it used is to spark curiosity, interest, right? Like, oh, if you knew, right? I use it with my kids often, um, but no, you use it in regular talk, like, oh, if you only knew, right? Um, so you you spark curiosity in the in uh, in the topic. Maybe our sense of curiosity as readers should also be heightened if we consider that living water is another way of saying running water, okay? Which cannot come out of a well, right? The water in the well is like is static, it's, um, it doesn't move. So how can this be? It should spark our curiosity. It is a strange concept. So verse 11 to 12, this is important. Conversation is not a monologue. Conversation allows for questions. Good conversations allow for the other person to speak up their mind. First, the woman brings her practical observations. This is a clever woman. See, she says, you don't have a jar or a bucket or anything to bring water with, to get water out of the well. Second, she brings her theology. Incomplete as it is, she brings it to the conversation in the form of a challenging question. Are you greater than Jacob? You see, for Samaritans and for Jews, Jacob was not only a historical figure, his importance is at the center of their religious identity. So that question, are you greater than Jacob, is, is profound and is challenging on the woman's part. Verse 13 and 14. Jesus doesn't ignore the woman's observations. And he actually responds with his own practical observation when he says, thirst can be satiated for a while, but it comes back. Very, yes, practical. But 
the woman's questions and Jesus' persistence to dialogue, to engage, created an opportunity for Jesus to reveal a little bit about what he can do. And he says, I can make you into a spring of living water. Without that commitment to engage, without that commitment to conversation, we would not be in this point in the conversation or in the revelation. Verse 15. Now we're talking. Things are beginning to change. See, the woman is the one asking Jesus for water now. Give me that water. Says, Give me that living water. And she's thinking of the good uses she can put that water to. Right? Now, again, I think commentators, biblical commentators, don't, don't treat this woman correctly. Um, many of them condescendingly argue that this, quote-unquote, poor woman couldn't understand that she was having a theological conversation and couldn't think beyond H2O, water, okay, and her practical needs. But I think they're mistaken because we saw in verse 12 already that she was already asking theologically nuanced questions to Jesus. So it's not fair to dismiss her questions and her requests. In fact, if we see verses 16 and 18, we begin, we see that living water begins to flow. At this point, um, some may perceive a change of topic in the conversation from water or living, living water to the woman's personal life, right? When Jesus asks him, where's your husband? Maybe, but maybe, Jesus is beginning to respond to the request of the woman for living water. You see, besides quenching our thirst, running water, living water washes things away, including our wounds. It makes them clean. That's the beginning of healing. The conversation about water has now turned prophetic because, as our dear Daryl Johnson once preached, the prophets among us make uncomfortable questions about how we are living our life. The woman's life story was rough. But, um, again, she's not treated fairly by many commentators. Uh, who want to just reduce her identity to a sinner, a sinful woman. Yes, most likely the woman not having a husband is the main reason why the woman is an outcast. But we, yet we do not know why she had had five husbands. What we do know is that it was much easier for men to divorce and abandon their wives than the other way around in that time. So it's best, rather than speculate, it's best to focus on Jesus' words to her and on the way he's addressing her 
during this tense moment. Remember that Jesus wasn't particularly excited uh, about the Pharisees' recognition of him. Um, he didn't care that they thought that he was a good teacher. But he does want the woman to know that he's a prophet. So he names this sore spot in the woman's life. Yes, her response to the question, where is your husband, is not complete. She doesn't tell the whole painful story as she knows it. She simply says that she has no husband. Jesus names more of her story, but his response is full of respect. Notice his words to her. You are right. You have spoken truth. When I was studying this passage with a marginalized uh, community in Sao Paulo, Brazil, one of the women participated in the study, put up her hand and said, Pastor David, I'm no theologian, but it seems to me that for Jesus, it is important to allow for the woman to reveal herself as he's revealing himself to her. I've never read this encounter again in the same way after hearing that woman's observation. This is revelation happening. And Jesus is making space for the woman, for the woman's story as he is revealing himself. Verses 19 to 20. Living water, again, allows for questions. People have questions before they encounter the gospel, and they will have questions after encountering the gospel. Living water allows for questions. Commentators also accuse the woman of avoiding the topic of her personal life by talking about worship. But what would you do? How would you respond after you've had a prophetic encounter? Would you not be led to worship? She brings up her questions and her theological concerns as they are. In fact, so just you, we appreciate the, the caliber of this woman's inquisitive mind, I should mention that the question she brings about where to worship is no trivial matter. You see, the correct place for worship was one of the greatest theological debates of that time. And Jesus is engaging her on that topic. The question was, where? Where does true worship happen? In uh, the temple in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim? In our day, in Vancouver, people are asking questions, theological questions, every day. They just call them by other names. What do we do about that? 
verses 21 to 24. A place for truth. I love how Jesus responds to the woman's theological questions. Spiritual questions, if you want. He expands them. He reshapes those questions. He says that true worship is not about a place. True worship is about bringing our stories, our whole stories, to the Father for living water. water. The woman was on the right path to true worship, for she had spoken truth, remember? Those are the kinds, the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Verse 25. Hope. Because Jesus did not simply stop the conversation, because he truly engaged her, she, the Samaritan woman, is now presenting to Jesus the hopes people have in her city. So we're waiting for the Messiah. He will explain everything. He will make things everything. He will make everything right. Do we know what hope looks like in our society today? Are we sensitive enough, respectful enough to allow for people to express their hopes? Verse 26. I am. It is time for full revelation. I am. Is Jesus' answer to the woman. It is in this most humanizing encounter with an outcast woman that Jesus first reveals his divine identity. I am. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For he wants to he wants us to know him. He wants the city to know him. Verse 27. Keep asking questions. The disciples were shocked that Jesus was having a conversation with a woman when they came back, because they had gone for to get food, right? So they're shocked that Jesus is having is talking to a woman. Uh, because um, no good teacher would talk to a woman, much less a Samaritan woman, much less an outcast Samaritan woman. But unlike her, they don't ask questions. Ask questions. Living water allows for questions. Verses 28 to 30 and 39 to 42. I call this part integral mission. The woman left quickly to tell everyone about this living water that she had tasted. But before we go into that, please notice in verse 28, there's a, there's a beautiful detail there. So she's rushing back to her village, but she leaves her jar behind. Some may say that she did so because she was in a hurry or she was just too excited and, you know, and she just left it there. 
But I think that in the same way that she wants to share living water with her people, she wants to make sure that Jesus and his disciples can have access to H2O. Remember, he was thirsty. Mission covers or is attuned to all the needs that we have. Notice the way she invites people to meet Jesus. She tells them about what happened to her. And then she poses a question to her people. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be our hope? She invited others to come and see. She didn't tell them what to believe. She said, come and see. Could this be the Messiah? Many believe because of her words. She pointed them to Jesus. What a terrific evangelist is this woman. In verse 42, we read that they said to the woman, the villagers, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man is, this man really is the savior of the world. This is one of the grand declarations about Jesus in the Gospel of John. This village in Samaria knows who Jesus is, his full identity. I am the savior of the world. This is integral mission. Joining in God's work of reconciling all things under Christ, sharing living water and working for access to clean water are not unrelated. They're part of the good news. Remember, Jesus was in a hostile and unwelcoming territory and he chooses to engage, not to impose but to engage, to start a conversation with his own vulnerability. I need water. To listen to people's questions, doubts, cultural expectations, and theological assumptions. Jesus and the Samaritan woman engage in conversation and we see how a thirsty man is revealed as the savior of the world and an outcast woman becomes an evangelist. In a world that tempts us toward despair, selfishness and loneliness, the gospel speaks of hope, honest engagement, of community and loving kindness. Let me tell you the story of another conversation that changed lives many years ago. Almost a century ago, my great-great-grandfather, Manuel Laura, was the chief of one of the only two free indigenous villages in a large section around Lake Titicaca in Bolivia. Manuel was a man deeply committed to the welfare of his people. 
and believed in the need for education, which um, was particularly difficult because all the surrounded, surrounded indigenous communities had been expropriated and belonged now to wealthy families from European descent that lived in the city of La Paz. These families had no interest in allowing schools in those indigenous communities. One day, perhaps in 1926, Manuel received the visit of a Canadian Baptist missionary who was asking for permission to preach the gospel in Manuel's community. They sat and ate together. And after listening to the missionary, Manuel agreed to let him preach, but with one condition. The condition was that the children in the community, including the girls, Manuel asserted, would be taught how to read. That missionary, Howard Plummer, had been commissioned by a church in Vancouver. Actually, it was this very church, First Baptist, that sent Howard and Mary Plummer as missionaries to Bolivia. And guess what date? August 29, 1924. In that conversation he had with Manuel, Howard learn more fully what it means to be a missionary, to ask permission, to sit down and eat, to be patient. Also, through that conversation, Manuel began to imagine a way to resist the oppressive feudal system under which the indigenous peoples of Bolivia lived at the time. But Manuel could not have imagined that his, so remember, he asked for education for the children, right? So um, Manuel could not have imagined that his great grandson, my father Arturo, one day would help translate the Bible to the indigenous language Aymara. This is the gospel. There are conversations that change our lives. And when the gospel takes hold, the changes are far deeper than we can imagine. And God is still at work. A couple weeks ago, after John Sang's sermon, I ended up talking to Sherry, who had come to Christ because of uh, Karen Lai. And Sherry told me, after I met Christ, everything changed. God is still at work. The Samaritan village came to know the good news that Jesus is the Savior of the world. The Samaritan woman experienced the good news in the ways Jesus engaged her. So, let us faithfully witness of God's reconciliation of all things in Christ by keeping together who Jesus is 
and the way he does things in humility and loving kindness. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.